Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Dr. Raymond Norman. Oh, you may recognize that name because this is not his second time, but his third time being on this podcast. He he was my first guest, actually, on the podcast and, and uh, very memorable. Obviously, we're bringing him back for a third time. And uh, so not only is he a psychologist, but he's also now an author and he's written a children's book titled, I Feel Better Now, a children's picture book that models how to parent your anxious or angry kid. So if you're a parent out there, this is the episode you want to tune into. And even if you're an adult, because a lot of the skills and tools and tactics and strategies that are shared in this children's book are applicable to adults. Um, and I don't know about you, listener, but I mean, I need all the tools I can get to learn how to calm my anxious and angry self down when the, when, the, when a nine-year-old inside of me feels like that. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Raymond Norman. Thanks so much for having me, Leo. Um, what is, what happened? What's, what's happening in the world that you're like? This is the book that needs to be written of all the things. So the idea for the book came from just a lot of contemplation and reflection about the different clients I've been seeing for so many years. And what I was able to trace it down to is to see that a lot of people, the problems that they have now, for example, if it's anxiety, depression, addiction problems, or even relationship issues, a lot of it can be traced back to childhood, in particular, how kids felt when they were kids. So when you look at the way people were raised, it has a very strong influence in terms of how they're going to be, the way they are shaped. So I noticed that a lot of people growing up as kids, they didn't have the kind of parental figures or caregivers that necessarily promoted open dialogue about feelings and emotions. So what the book really taps into is it teaches parents really how to handle their kids when they're going through emotional difficulties. And it's also showing the kid indirectly that it's okay to talk about your feelings. It's okay to get upset. Um, so I think when you put the two together, it creates a very nice dynamic where both the parent is learning how to navigate the situation and the child is feeling more comfortable and empowered to express themselves openly and freely. Oh, yeah. I definitely didn't feel comfortable or empowered in my childhood. I mean, my mom was from Belize. It was do as I tell you to do and, you know, uh, go to your room, be quiet kind of deal. There, there was really no room for... Uh, more subtle emotions besides you're either cool or, or, or angry. And, and there wasn't any room to be hurt or bothered or, uh, you know, I would say even like joy, like th these, these other emotions. And so very limited. What are some of the things that parents are saying that don't work, that they think are working? They, they think what they're saying is helping the, the to soothe their child when they're anxious or angry, but actually is is throwing more fuel on a fire. 
I think when parents try to immediately just solve the kids' problems without actually hearing what the problem is from their point of view, that can be very hurtful for the child. Um, you know, they can be very hard on the kid without even realizing it. And what you're basically teaching the kid is that your voice doesn't matter, your feelings don't matter. And the sad part is that from there, the kid can go on and learn that that's how I need to treat myself. So if my parent is criticizing me or neglecting my emotional needs, that what ends up happening is I might think that because, of course, my parents know everything when I'm a kid. That's what I feel. That's how I see it. Then I learn in turn that, oh, that I have to be critical and neglect my feelings, too, when I grow up. So people just do it on a sort of autopilot. And before you know it, you've become who you told yourself you never want to become. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I've heard parents at the park and at the, you know, these different public outings um, at the beach, you know, telling their, hey, little Jimmy, just calm down. Just relax. And then I just see, you know, more sand flying or, or, or you know, the more flailing about. And I'm just like, that, that's clearly not working to just tell. I mean, even if I tell my girlfriend to calm down, that doesn't really work. Uh, so yeah, and I don't. Go ahead. I, I don't think the parents are doing it on purpose. Heck, mm -hmm. I think most of them don't even know that they're doing it. Right. You know, based on their own limitations from their own childhoods that have gone unaddressed. But you have to understand that for a kid, a kid's currency is emotion. Kids don't understand, oh, well, my parents must be going through something. Or, you know, kids don't have that ability to abstract. They don't have that ability to think about what their parents must be going through that is causing them to do this. All kids know is, are you meeting my needs or are you not meeting my needs? Oh, you're not meeting my needs? Well, then. That's too bad for me. And then all kinds of internalizing. That's where a lot of internalizing happens, where kids blame themselves. Um, like they might get angry at themselves, when in reality, they should be externalizing that anger and getting upset at others. But because they've been taught, for example, in a situation like this, that there's no space to get angry, there's no space to get upset, there's no space to get sad. What ends up happening is they feel these things and then they blame themselves for feeling these things because they weren't allowed to. They think these things are categorically bad. Yeah, I, lo I love that you said uh, a kid's currency is emotion. I never thought about that. Is there more you want to say to that? Because that seems like such a powerful uh, statement. And I, my, I feel like my my brain still has not quite wrapped itself around that statement even though you did elaborate is there more sure i mean i think that for kids their feelings are their everything if you deny put down neglect or criticize their everything then you're basically putting down their entire world on the flip side if you learn how to acknowledge their feelings if you learn how to validate it if you learn how to accept their experiences then what you're basically teaching them is that they're onto something, they have a good grasp of reality, and what that ends up doing is it actually builds up their sense of self-confidence, self-esteem, and self-worth. Because now they realize, oh, well, what I feel on the inside is 
being validated on the outside. So I must be right. Like I'm onto something. What ends up happening is when this gets disrupted, that's when kids start to feel, especially into adulthood, they become super anxious. They become very self-critical. They overanalyze. They overthink. They second guess. They doubt themselves. And nothing ever seems to be good enough. Because from a young age, they learned that their instincts are wrong. What they feel is bad. And so effectively, they can internalize that to be like, well, I just, I guess I'm stupid. I don't know anything. So I need to spend the rest of my life trying to get validation from other people to let me know that I'm doing a good job. Wow. You know, it's interesting you use that word instincts because I'm just realizing how much of our brain is still mammalian reptilian. And and even as a child, like your the prefrontal cortex, that thinking part of our brain is not really online yet. So the, yeah, the, all the kid really has to go off are their instincts, is that mammalian reptilian brain that they have. And then we're denying that part of them, which is to deny them or, you know, to feel like you're denying them completely. That has to suck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, think about all the anxieties that people have, the worries, the obsessions, um, the controlling tendencies. It's all because people don't feel good enough about themselves. And you can trace it back to be like, well, you were taught to not feel good enough about yourself. You were taught that you're not good enough. You were taught to be inadequate and you were taught to believe that you're incompetent and incapable. What is it? Because we talked about, you know, the uh, the experience of it and anxiety and anger. What does that feel like on a physical level for a kid? Are, are we talking like racing hearts, unable to breathe, dry mouth? Like, what are some of those? And is that helpful to help the kid recognize some of those physical symptoms that are taking place? Yeah, I think they're actually very similar to the symptoms that we experience as adults. I think some some ways in particular that we might see it in kids is they might have a hard time concentrating. They might be easily irritable. Um, they have short fuse. Little things just seem to bother them much faster. And actually, if you if people read the book, these signs actually do show up. Like I very mindfully put these characteristics attached into the child in the book because I want parents to see very clearly that it might look like it's not a big deal, but it actually is a big deal. And as a parent, the more you're aware of what's going on, the better position you actually are in to help guide your child through these feelings. And what ends up happening is when you do that, when your kid learns that you are an emotional safe haven for them, then it does wonders for them in terms of their self-esteem and self-worth. It, it teaches them to have trust and it really builds the connection that they have with you. Because I think ultimately that is what kids want from their parents. If you want to raise healthy kids, raise them in an environment where they feel comfortable and safe to express themselves where they, they know that you're going to accept them no matter what comes out of their mouth. Yeah, I love this idea of a safe haven and building trust because there's always that trope you see in TV shows of the kid withdrawing 
isolating themselves, wearing black, walking around with headphones. And, you know, it's frustrating and upsetting to the parents of like, why don't you come out your room? Why do you always have your headphones on? And they don't realize that maybe the kid is signaling that they don't feel safe or that they can trust that they can be open and vulnerable with the adults in the house. I think you're very right. I think you're spot on. I think a lot of parents might take that personally as an affront to like, why isn't my kid listening to me? But really, it's your job is as the parent is to examine if they're not doing something that you want them to do. You want your kid to speak to you? Well, first try to understand maybe why they're not speaking to you. And when you can take a, a good hard look at that, then you're really opening up the floor for them to feel safe. Because I think you're right. There's a reason why the kid is putting the headphones on the ears and not wanting to talk to their parents. They're not stupid. They're probably in a state of self-preservation. They're trying to protect themselves. And the more you know that as a parent, the more you allow that to guide the way in which you approach your kid, then the better off it is going to be for you as the parent and for the kid who deep down wants to connect. They just don't feel safe. They don't know that it's possible yet. Yeah, I think also as adults or as parents, we kind of underestimate the impact of change on a kid. You know, if you uh, move from one house to the next, even if you think you're moving into a better neighborhood and to a better school, that change can be disruptive to a kid's routine and social life. Um, and, and that can cause some inner turmoil that the kid may not be able to express. And, you know, the parents may think it's not a big deal because they're just seeing just the upside of the move. Right. And so what this means then is that the parents have to go outside of themselves. They have to stop thinking about only themselves for a moment and to consider how these things affect their child which means they have to put themselves into their children's shoes so yeah i think kids are very sensitive to change they're very sensitive to the uncertainty and the unknown so the more this can be presented in as predictable a fashion as possible then the better off it is going to be for the kids and for the parents because i think ultimately what parents want is to have very good relationships with their kids. And I, I just want to qualify what I said. I'm not suggesting that parents are only thinking about themselves. Obviously, that's on a gradient. Some, are, some do that more, some do that less. I just think a, a proper way of parenting involves a healthy degree of self-preservation or self-care, and also at the same time, learning how to step outside of yourself to take into consideration the perspective of the other person, especially if the other person is in a position to be impacted by your decisions. Yeah, I was reading an article about this, you know, push for kids to go to college and how early kids receive that message. And on some subconscious level, the article was saying, you're basically telling your child that we want you out the house and we can't wait for you to get out the house, which on some level can cause anxiety. It's like, why have me 
and say you love me and care about me. And at the same time, talk about me leaving the house all the time and, and waiting. And then there's also like this fear of like the real world is like, well, wait until you get out into the real world. It's like, well, now I'm terrified of the real world. And the, it sounds like you don't want me at home. Like there's all these messages that uh, the kids receive where they should be feeling safe. But now you're forcing them to think 10, 20 years down the road and fearing leaving the house. Yeah. So imagine having such a relationship where the kid and the parents have the kind of space where the kid can feel safe enough to ask that question, to bring it up. Hey, you know, you're so passionate and you're so, you seem so excited about me leaving the house. Does that mean you don't like having me around? Cause like, I feel really incompetent. Like maybe there's something wrong with me that you're trying to throw me out of the house. And at that point, the parents can really set the record straight. Like, Oh my goodness. Like, thank you for telling me that. That's not what I meant at all. Let me tell you why I have been saying what I've been saying. And ultimately you get around to it where you start to show your child that you actually care about them, you love them, and you support them. You're not doing this because you're trying to get rid of them. You're simply trying to prepare them for the next phase of life, which is going to help prepare them launch into further success into their life. You know, so much of what we do it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. So much of parenting is about how you speak to your kids. It's not necessarily what you say, although what you say is important, but really emphasizing the sensitivity with which you say it. You know, I'm not saying to parents that you should allow your kids to do whatever they want, because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is be a parent, but also understand how to do it in a way that is very parental, capital P in a way that promotes your child's upbringing, their evolution, and their growth. I, I, I love that. And because, you know, we we're talking, you know, we're also already talking about school, but there's also, I feel like, kids, their anxiety and their anger and frustration. It is because a lot of parents are pushing their kids into so many programs. They're like, my kids are going to piano at this, and then lacrosse at that, and then football, and then, uh, they have, they're going to take Mandarin and, you know, it's like this over, um, what, uh, uh, achieving, and that's not the word I'm looking for, but we're just pu we're putting so much on a kid's plate and there's, there's with little room for them to experiment, explore and expand on their own. And I could imagine that can feel overwhelming to a kid. And then you like there study for college. Very much so. And I'm very sad to say this. Um, I actually got someone's forwarded me an article a few weeks ago that a very prestigious private school in our area, um, they just had their third suicide this year. And I remember it was very sad to read it. And one of the things I told my friend was, unfortunately, I'm not surprised because of what you're saying, Leo about when you put such insurmountable pressures on kids, which a lot of times when it's happening like that, I don't think it's necessarily for the benefit of the kid. It's really perhaps for the benefit of the parents, you know, especially in certain circles. Um, you know, parents might view their child too much as a representative of themselves. 
So they put too much pressure on the kid to perform so that they look good. And unfortunately, you know, this stuff can happen. Now, my heart goes out to these the families of these kids. I'm not saying that it's because of that. I'm speaking more on a social level or on a societal level. Um, this is happening a lot where when parents are over-investing into the accomplishments and the achievements of their children, what they're actually doing is they're, in a way, they could be crippling their children. They're not allowing them to be themselves. And that's the tragedy because I think a big part of parenting is promoting a child to be themselves. You know, you can have safeguards, you can have rules, you can have restrictions, but at the end of the day, it's also very important to listen to what the child wants um, and promoting that. Wow. I, the third one, I think I know the school you're, you're, you're speaking of and uh, my, my heart goes out to them. Uh, you know, with this book that you you've written, what are some of the the feedback that you've received from parents thus far? I see you have a full five star review on Amazon. Is it, has anyone shared anything with you that surprised you from the book or that where you learned you were like, oh, I hadn't thought about that? Yes, actually, there was somebody who read the book. Um, I, I spoke with the parent. I was actually seeing one of their kids in therapy. And they told me that they actually read the book to their child and it sparked a discussion at the dinner table that she was floored by. She was not expecting that kind of reception by simply asking them a question. Um, she said that one of her other kids was like, like, yeah, mom, this is what you do or this is how things are in this house. And it was very heartwarming. Uh, not that it's happening, but that it's creating such discussion because the book is meant to create discussion. The book is meant to make people think. Um, and it's meant to facilitate dialogue where people begin to abstract and to think about, well, how can I take the lessons from this book and apply it into my daily life on a very practical level? Wow. Yeah. I, um, my girlfriend, her nephew was staying with us. And he he just could not calm himself or soothe himself. And, you know, we were trying to get him to talk to his emotions. And and one of the things I was like, I read a study that children can learn sign language much earlier than they can learn verbal language. And I was mm -hmm. like, would this be a, a, a much more effective way for a kid to communicate what's going on? earlier than through you know hey tell me what's going on through the through the verbal language which is seems to be so limited in scope for a child you know the the younger they are um i, I don't know if you found i mean because i know like especially in therapy there's art therapy is like well let's just draw something let's build something let's you know these other ways of of expression that might be more accessible for a child yeah, I mean, I think any kind of therapy, especially for children or even teenagers, it ought to, and this is my opinion, I think it, it has to promote the idea of authentic expression, especially for the reasons we've discussed so far today. You know, the pressures that exist around us, the limitations that exist around us, 
you know, being a kid is really hard. You're very powerless as a kid. You're basically doing as well as the environment that you're surrounded by. Kids soak stuff up like you wouldn't believe, or maybe you already know. But children are very impressionable. They're very easily influenced. And that can be a very good thing. I like to be optimistic about it, that when you surround children in an environment that promotes their self-expression, that promotes their pursuit of their authenticity, then what you're basically doing is you're about to set up a generation where people feel more confident about themselves. They feel better about themselves, which in turn often makes people more successful, you know, emotionally, psychologically, socially, even academically, professionally, and simply just being a good citizen, being a good human being, being a kind person, being a considerate person, being someone who's patient and accepting of people, being someone who can be respectful of people who have differences of opinion. We can have differences of an opinion, but I think it takes a lot of self-security to be able to engage in that disagreement while still maintaining dignity and respect for one another. Do you think dinner is the best time for that? Because there's always, you know, you watch those old sitcoms and <laughs> dinner is is when they would have these deeper conversations and would oftentimes get heated. And But then when you look at Asian traditions, they're like, you know, eat in silence. You go to any Zen monastery and they're like, you know, it's, the, it's this idea of practicing mindful eating so we don't talk because it can distract from the experience of eating talking is talking eating is eating and we separate those two uh, is there an effective time or way to really connect with your child i think the most effective time is whenever it's the right time Meaning it does not necessarily need to be at dinner. I think one reason why people like to appeal to the concept of dinner time discussion is simply because that's when everyone has a common reason to come together, namely to eat food. <laughs> but if there's if there's another avenue, you know, let's say you don't have dinner together, but you spend breakfast together or you spend some other time together. It doesn't matter, I think, the specific timing. I think the most important piece is that there is this warm receptivity where especially kids know that, oh, you know, like this time is coming up. You know, now I know this is going to be a time where we can discuss different things. And so they might have different things to talk about. And what a, what a great way to instill in a child that there will be a predictable time where you will have the stage front and center you're going to say what you want and you're going to be seen, heard, and understood for what you're saying. I mean, I can't even think of a better setup to raise healthy, confident children. I love that. I, I was thinking about bullies and, and this idea that there's some kids out there that don't want to tell their parents they're being bullied because they're afraid the parents might do something, quote unquote, crazy. They might show up to the school and hurt the kid or hurt the kid's parents. And so they don't open up in that way. Um, is there a way for a parent to have that conversation with their kid or for the kid to have the conversation with the parent? I think there is. 
Um, I think what's going to be very interesting to look at is, for example, in, in the one that you just mentioned, if a child is reluctant, if a child is hesitant to bring it up, why are they reluctant or hesitant? And I think the answer to that question will reveal a lot about what that child is experiencing at home. You gave an example of maybe they're afraid that the parent is going to go behave in such a manner. I can think of a situation where the kid won't say it because he's like, well, what's the point? They're not going to do anything anyway. So both can be very extremely different in presentation, but the same message is being sent in both. Perhaps, which is like, you know, you don't matter. You know, your voice doesn't matter. And I can't think of a more traumatizing experience for a kid than to feel that he or she does not matter to their parents or caregivers. Your your book, I Feel Better Now, a children's picture book that models, models how to parent your anxious or angry kid. Is there anything from the book that we haven't discussed that you would like to share? Is there anything that after you wrote it, you were like, ah, oh, I, I wish I had included this? Uh, um, maybe different emotions for later on. Um, no, I think I captured everything I wanted to capture. I think I got it. The message I think is pretty clear. Um, and I think if people read it and they take it to heart, they really are setting themselves and their children up to have a much, much happier life, a life where they have more stability, more confidence, more self-worth. And to your point, even if you don't have kids, as one, I saw one reviewer wrote it, this is a great book also that teaches you how to deal with your own inner child. So if you learn how to have that kind of patience, diligence, and attention to detail with your own inner child, meaning your own feelings, then it can really be beneficial in that way as well. Yeah, if a if a if a kid is flailing about, um, what's the first thing a parent should say or do? I think the first thing is that they need to notice that it's happening. Okay. Um, secondly, they can approach their child and ask them, like, "Hey, like, what's going on?" Really show the kid that you know something is going on. Because I think kids are not going to volunteer this information. And as you'll, if anybody, anybody who is going to read the book, the kid doesn't volunteer this information because in real life, kids don't necessarily volunteer information. It's the parent's job as the adult, as the more mature figure, to approach the child once they see something is wrong and really encourage them to talk about something. If the kid never speaks anything, there's one thing that, could, that they can feel comforted by, and it's to know that, wow, at least my parent pays attention. Like, I got to respect that, that they pay attention. You know, so, go ahead. No, and I think uh, too often, like, parents might feel discouraged by saying anything because they might think, oh, well, it's not going to do anything. They're not going to listen to me. But I'm like, nah, but don't count yourself out too quickly. You know, just because they say they're not listening or they don't care doesn't mean that they're not listening or that they they don't care. You don't know what's going in their mind. 
your job as a parent is to simply be a parent. And part of being a parent is you can't be overly reliant on your child to tell you exactly everything that's going on. I, you're absolutely right. Um, it, could, it starts to sink in what you're saying, what you're doing. I remember, I don't remember if it was in coaching or, or where it was something of like, uh, first I, first you hear it, you hear it from someone else. And then you um, are saying it to yourselves, to yourself, and then you start to embody it. But like it takes, you know, like in marketing, they say like it takes seven times to connect with a person before mm -hmm. that. It's like, and, and I'm, I think it's probably the same thing with music. Like if you play a song seven different times, it, you know, seven different moments, by that eighth time, you'll start humming that song. And so even if you feel like the person's not paying attention, they are. Their, their subconscious is absorbing the message. Yeah. And you, it's so great to convey to the subconscious how valuable and cared for they are. I mean, that is an, an immeasurable investment that will pay dividends for years and years and years to come. And it sounds like what you're also saying is let the kid open up at their own pace. Instead, you know, show up and say, hey, I'm noticing, you know, that you've been isolating in your room, you, your sleep cycles off, you're eating, whatever that is. How, you know, is everything okay? And then it's up to the kids to want to open up, but not for us to force it out of them. Correct. Beautiful. Bingo. Dr. Norman, it was wonderful to have you on. Last two questions. Always imagine there's someone. Um, listening in who's on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? You always can, but consider other options as well. I love that. And then last question, what are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours? Well, I have a day off tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that That's going to be something I really look forward to. There it is. Thank you, Dr. Norman, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the 988 or any of the 800 numbers. You can chat, talk, text. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one -on -one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Dr. Norman. Thank you, Leo.